0: This is Global Humanist Shop Talk, the podcast edition. I'm ML Clark. In episode four, where we explored the humanist quinoa market, I mentioned a cost savings diet I took up during my last year in Kitchener, Ontario rice, lentils, beans, peanut butter, hot sauce for flavor, discount apples, and eggs. Eggs had always been something of a luxury for me, because for years I had made a concerted effort to buy only free-range eggs, even though they cost more than generic. While saving up to emigrate, though, I chose to give up even this little performance of ethical living, the one thing I had felt I could manage on my tight budget to contribute to the making of a better world. And it filled me with such shame to buy regular eggs instead. I almost felt like making excuses to the cashier every time I went to ring up my purchases. I know the poultry industry is terrible, I know I should be doing my part to change the consumerist tide, but, but, but. Moving to Colombia required significant adjustments in just about every facet of my life and food was no exception. Gone was my access to a wide range of products. Pecans, walnuts, sprinkles, lard, food coloring, yellow lemons, cranberries, pine nuts, cherries. But even everyday staples were different. When I bought milk, it still came in a bag, as it does in Canada, but those bags were more often heaped together on bare shelves instead of found inside refrigerators. And so too were the eggs. Any listeners in the UK, of course, will also be accustomed to eggs sitting out on the shelves because so long as they haven't been washed, they have a natural protective layer to prevent salmonella poisoning. And yet, most urban Canadians and US citizens are deeply ingrained to see an egg outside a refrigerator as a health disaster. Blame all the public service announcements I saw as a kid about how salmonella can show up just about anywhere, a silent killer in our midst. I cannot tell you how completely irrationally nervous I was the first time I cooked with eggs that I had bought from a stack of unrefrigerated flats here in Colombia. city kids, am I right? Speaking of first times, though, the first time I was robbed in Colombia, I had made the mistake of leaving a flat of 30 eggs too close to the metal bars of the window by my kitchen, and some very hungry person in the street had grabbed them all by the hasty handful, leaving only a couple broken ones in their wake. At the time, I was living in the Candelaria, one of Bogota's oldest districts all canted mountainside with roadways of stone as much as pavement running past brightly painted Spanish colonial houses, which these days are primarily used for tourist exhibits, museums, government departments, hostels, and cultural displays, but which also still have quite a few locals living among them. I wasn't too far from one of the filming locations, from Carlos Vives's Robarte un beso, music video, actually. Just look for the old couple that rarely eats together until two famous Colombian singers lend a helping hand with a windowside serenade. I lived on a nearby side street, and whew, where to begin? Downhill from my narrow side street was Plaza de Bolivar, a sprawling gathering space framed by the grand, old-world pillars of Colombia's Congress of the Republic, the austere offices of Bogota's municipal government, and the towering, dusty beige masonry of the primatial cathedral of Colombia. The massive stone square was obviously a place where protests, demonstrations and other momentous events occurred, but it was also a place where families would simply wander with their children or young people with friends and lovers, and where pigeons and eared doves would flock hopefully around the vendors of everything from popcorn and cotton candy to arepas and large wafery obleas to big butt ants and fried offal. But the birds and the immense number of stray dogs in this storied capital weren't the only ones hoping for a meal in the trash. The depth of hunger and abject poverty among the many human beings moving in variously troubled mental states along these same epic streets, and in pretty much every other district I visited when I lived in Bogota, was a humbling daily reminder not to be careless with one's food, to buy only what one needed and to share what one did not. My flat of eggs had clearly been a golden treasure to someone, and the next would be too, if I didn't take a different sort of care with my purchases from here on out. To be able to choose one's food at all is an act of luxury, but that does not also mean it is a frivolous act, it's simply a choice that some of us have, and many do not. The question is, can we who have so much choice learn to eat and more generally to consume in ways that extend that same agency to others, to give others the chance to make more ethical choices too? It's that mental flip, that pivotal moment when we better understand how agency can be enhanced or lessened by our policies and cultures, which this humanist podcast always seeks to explore one everyday object or concept at a time. You're listening to Global Humanist Shop Talk, and today we're laying down some of the dissonant histories, curious semiotics, and humanist concerns around the chicken egg. In January 2020, long after my initial culture shock had passed, I was living in a modest residential district in Medellin, neither particularly old nor new, a place more for everyday locals than tourists or the affluent. And I decided to start Keto, a food plan that restricts carbohydrates to switch your body into ketosis so that it runs on calories from fat instead. Keto was originally a treatment plan for epilepsy, a condition that shares many treatment pathways with one of my diagnoses, and I had long been curious to see if keto would offer any benefits to my mental health. In Canada, such a moderate protein, high fat food plan had been far too costly, but in a land where avocados were more excessively priced, I thought I could give it a try. Immediately though, my new food plan compelled another mental flip, a complete rethinking of my local community networks because being on keto meant right away, I was no longer buying from many street vendors in my neighborhood. All these wonderful people, usually undocumented Venezuelan immigrants, but also some locals whose livelihoods depended on people consuming carbs on the go, fried baked goods, traditional lunch plates, high fructose produce. Colombia's economy is over 48% informal, meaning that over 48% of Colombia's workers are ineligible even for minimum monthly salary guarantees, and the minimum monthly salary for 2020, 877,803 pesos, only translates to about 230 US dollars at the time. This is not a country with a robust safety net either in the form of employment insurance or welfare checks. Buying a pastry for around 30 to 60 Canadian cents might be negligible for me, but every peso counts for millions here. With keto then, the act of finding and frequenting local egg, cheese and avocado vendors suddenly became far more important to my sense of social responsibility than paying close attention to the provenance of each vendor's products. Then again, even when I did go to the supermarket, the reduced range of ethical labels on the shelves like ecoresponsables, eco-responsible, 100% natural, 100% natural, whatever that means, de gallinas en pastoreo, from grazing chickens, or my absolute favorite, gallinas consentidas, pampered chickens, gave the vague impression that most local egg sellers were more naturally farmed anyway. As such, it was far easier to assume, correctly or otherwise, that the small-timer selling eggs out of his truck wasn't part of a mass farming nightmare. In other words, my choices had been reduced in some ways and expanded in others. I had traded in absolute guarantees about the product for a far more immediate, personable understanding that I was directly supporting people in my neighborhood of far more modest means. And that fluctuation, that sense of what it means to be an ethical operator in my community, was shaped by the system I inhabited, rather than by any intrinsic or unwavering code of what is right and what is wrong with food consumption, which also required some serious philosophical rewiring. Supermarkets in Colombia provide a significant selection of local foods, but since 48% of the country's workforce is employed in the informal economy, hustling to make enough cash through street market wares, shopping routinely involves a mix of frequenting big name stores and that guy who's always camped out down the street. In stores, you'll find both quail and chicken eggs, but on the streets, it's chicken. By the flat, by the carton, even one at a time, wrapped in a little black plastic bag, if you ask. B, A, or double A rated, brown or white, those are the options. Street signs direct you in some neighbourhoods to apartments where people sell directly from their front rooms. In the morning, old men and women in traditional campesino garb, as if fresh from the farm, might be found at roadsides with eggs for sale, along with coffee by the cup and other recent crop offerings. Later in the day, you might see vendors with stacks of flats beside little stands where they cut and spritz fresh fruits for you or cook freshly fried chips or churros or sausages for the evening crowd. For city dwellers in Canada and the US, egg options look a little different. Polished, labeled, slickly marketed, ever teetering on that knife's edge of actually helping to inform consumers or really just selling feel-good performative activism. Free-range, pasture-range, organic, hormone-free, omega-3, farm-fresh, enriched, pasteurized, liquid, egg white only, egg alternatives. The label distinctions in our refrigerator grocery sections are immense and somewhat misleading because this display of choice along with the whole fairly preposterous idea of becoming a truly informed consumer in a food economy driven by clever marketing elides the hard fact that the real ethical decisions are always made long before we enter the grocery store. For one, even the most ethically farmed chicken egg still comes for the vast majority of us from an industry that culls billions of male chicks every year, simply because the male chicks aren't lucrative enough to be sold for meat and, well, can't lay eggs themselves. Most are still ground up or gassed after hatching, and while a few initiatives have been able to sex eggs before birth, through scans or drop tests through the shell, the most efficient and harm-reducing processes are still expensive and time-consuming, and as such, not yet scalable to the whole industry. This is a huge problem from economic, environmental, and compassionate perspectives. Economic, because costly facility resources are wasted in the time it takes to sex eggs for an industry of this size. Environmental, because many of the added resource costs taken up by producing chicks for immediate slaughter directly impact climate change. And compassionate, because this state of affairs does not reflect the most optimally humane way for sentient beings to move together through the world. So what about this none option? Why not just cut out eggs entirely? There are indeed good alternatives, even for baking. In Canada? Flax seeds and applesauce were the most common, although my favorite was aquafaba, the liquid you find in canned beans and chickpeas, which can be whipped up like an egg white. In Colombia though, again the question becomes to what extent one has access to fancier goods. And while flax is simply a little rarer and more heavily priced, I haven't seen a reasonably priced applesauce in my local grocery store for years. Colombia also relies less on canned goods in general, so a can of chickpeas, about the liquid equivalent of three to four eggs for baking purposes, is 150% more expensive than a standard double egg carton of a dozen all purpose eggs. Also, you simply cannot make the country's most famous traditional dish, bandeja paisa, a hearty bounty of three or four meats plus beans rice, double-fried plantains, arepas, and avocado with a dollop of aquafaba instead of a lightly fried egg placed delicately on top. No, senor. The issue of tradition is not one to be taken lightly. How we handle differences in cultural significance is critical in learning how to make consumption choices that are not simply performing the trends provided by our local food economies, but also serving to expand agency to others so that they can make ethical choices too. What I would suggest then is that we need to advocate for food economies with less choice. That is less choice at the last possible moment when a consumer is moving through the aisles looking to feed their families Instead of allowing that customer to believe that the path to an ethical world lies entirely on their shoulders and on how they choose to allocate their budget within the pathways of ethical buying presented to them, we need an economy that provides us with options already made in the best possible ways. What we need is a better ethics at scale. And this won't be easy, but it's also not entirely out of reach at least not to those many Westerners with the time and means to be performing grand decisions with their budgets in the first place. While many struggling North Americans in food deserts and with profound household poverty share with many Colombians an inability to exercise greater political will, many of us can do more to popularize the idea that too much of the wrong kind of choice is simply unpalatable. After all, one of the dangers of walking down the aisle in a grocery store and seeing the immense number of differently-labeled eggs on display is that this very sight lends an aura of inevitability to the status quo. This is how the food economy has always functioned, our massive promotional display suggests. So what's the point of imagining it to be otherwise? But while poverty runs deep in places like Colombia, that poverty often comes with a mixing of rural cultures and relaxed zoning restrictions that bring many here closer to the origins of their eggs than many of the cash poor in the US or Canada. In humbler city barrios, you'll be woken by the crow of a local rooster Or find a brood of chicks following their hen through the detritus and plant life along various humble roadways. Fancier labels at the grocery store are not the only pathway back to healthier and more sustainably thoughtful food relationships with our food. We global citizens who were raised in major consumer economies are used to signifying our commitment to building a better world through our purchases And to some extent that does help. But what if the simple chicken egg could also teach us the importance of taking certain choices out of consumers hands entirely? What if the far greater activism lies in giving everyone the agency not to be complicit in systems they can rarely dictate by bringing more sociopolitical attention to the businesses making all the biggest decisions for us? It's not easy And it cannot be done overnight. But that doesn't mean it can't be done at all. This has been Global Humanist Chop Talk, podcast edition, with M. L. Clark. New episodes launch every other Friday, first to Global Humanist Chop Talk, the column available at OnlySky, and then to other podcast distributors. Maurizio Ferraz is my one-man dream team of an audio production specialist, studio space and resources were provided by Agencia El Grifo, theme music comes care of Kabbalistic Village on Soundcloud, and other background music is courtesy of Joseph McDade. All of this would not have been possible without my patrons, the vast majority of whom support me through Patreon, where I post a monthly newsletter along with other updates on the full range of my writing projects. None of us excels without the support of a community, and I am deeply thankful to have found mine. Shop talkers, humanists, fellow travelers on this pale blue dot, wherever this episode's little mental flip finds you in your lives, please remember to be kind to yourselves, to seek justice where you can, and above all else, to keep the conversation thriving.